This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast is brought to you by Indiana American Water. Indiana American Water is the state's largest investor-owned water utility, serving 1.3 million Hoosiers in more than 50 communities across the state. With more than 130 years of service, Indiana American Water has the experience, knowledge, and resources to help your community address the infrastructure and water quality needs, allowing you to focus on other community priorities. Learn more at indianaamwater.com or contact Matt Garnard at 317-885-2414. This is Matt Greller, CEO of AIM. Welcome to the Hometown Innovations Podcast. Join us as we share ways our municipalities are positioning themselves for the future, thought-provoking interviews with state and local leaders, and more. Thanks for listening as we tell the municipal story. Welcome to this episode of AIM's Hometown Innovations Podcast. This is Chelsea Schneider with AIM, and today we are at the Indiana Conference of Mayors in Richmond, Indiana, we just heard a fantastic presentation by the city of Fishers and their nickel plate trail project and the people involved in the project and how they really brought the community together to give this really neat you know, input into the future of it. So today I'm with Fishers Deputy Mayor Leah McGrath, principals of EX2 Partners, Kirk Enright and Jeanette Thibault, and then also Tony Murray with NBBJ. Tell me a little bit about the overview of the nickel plate. You know, what is kind of its story and what is its meaning to the community? This is Leah and the nickel plate line in Fishers is special. The founding of Fishers can be tied to the nickel plate line. In the late 1860s, there, you know, word got out that the owners of the Nickel Plate Railroad were looking to start a stop or put a stop in, otherwise known as a switch, in in what is now the downtown area of Fishers, Indiana. And a man that we like to call the original entrepreneur of Fishers, his name was Salathiel Fishers, saw an opportunity uh, with the railroad coming through and bought up the land that he later incorporated in 1871 to become the town of Fishers. So like many towns in this time, the town of Fishers sprung up because a railroad stop was put in its place. So our history is very tied to this line. Years ago, the line stretched from Chicago down to Indianapolis as you know, innovation happened, cars happened, time went on, those connections were lost. And so uh, we found ourselves a bit at a crossroads in 2016 with a line that ran from northern Hamilton County down to downtown India, or down to the state fairgrounds in Indianapolis. And it was a vacant line. So the owners of the railroad are the city of Noblesville, city of Fishers, and Hamilton County. And the owners got together to say, what do we do next? What's next for this corridor? And so it's a really, it's tied to our history. It's a special place. And we saw an opportunity to rail bank the corridor, which we have done effectively with the Federal Surface Transportation Board, so that now it can be used and converted from track to trail. In the city of Fishers, uh, city of Fishers has grown rapidly, as most people are aware. You know, 20, 
Five years ago, we had about 9,000 people in the city of Fishers. Today, we have about 93,000 people in the city of Fishers. And like a lot of growing suburbs and growing places, that means that we've got uh, people who didn't grow up in Fishers who are living there now. And so there's kind of a hunger for identity, a hunger for knowing the history and the heritage. And, and that helps people feel connected to the place they live. So as we started evaluating this project and thinking about the opportunity, there's opportunity to create an amazing amenity, more than a trail, a linear park, a whole new kind of public space, but also an opportunity in doing so to create experiences that tie people to the heritage of the nickel plate line and to get excited about the vision of what's to come. So how did the project really begin to activate the trail? And what I thought was really neat from the panel you know, trails are an important part of any community, but what I thought was awesome is Fishers took it a step forward and a step further to make it kind of more than a trail. So really, how did, how did this project begin? This is Leah again, and as we looked at the project, it was really important for us with the opportunities to create a whole new kind of public space that was designed for the community by the community. So with the opportunity to connect people to the story of Fishers, we wanted them to be a part of it. We wanted them to have ownership and be a part of the vision for the master plan of this trail, of this experience. And so we knew that community engagement and community input was going to be very important from day one. Uh, this is Tony. Uh, one of the things that we looked at a lot when we were looking at this project, even pursuing this project uh, as NBBJ, was you know what what did a community like Fishers, uh, what were they interested in out of the trail? Um, there's as as Leah mentioned, there's a lot of trails from around the country that are great at connecting people, but um, we wanted to connect people kind of in a unique way, in a different way, uh, and thinking about it from a more of a community standpoint. Um, so whenever we came and interviewed for the project, you know, that we, we kind of made sure that that was, we were aligned in terms of expectations with the client uh, and with EX2. Um, and as we began to develop those spaces, it was really clear and apparent that that is what the community wanted. Uh, and they wanted kind of uh, different and unique things to be happening along the trail and it not just be a, a straightforward trail. What I mean, it's really neat because there's this big community engagement component um, really focused on going out to members of the community and having them give input. Um, I love the idea of I, I want, you know, four and a half miles of, you know, campaign where people, you know, kind of gave their answer to that prompt. How did you design the process for community input and what can city and towns across the state learn from that design process? This is Kirk. So the, the, the point of the engagement campaign was to uh, make sure that the community was really involved in creating this whole so we wanted something that was uh, that would encourage them to, as we said, be bold, be original, and be heard. We wanted to put that out to as broad an audience as possible, and not just put out a message, but put out uh, what we call an engagement mechanism. So something that they can uh, use to get uh, invested in the project. So simply filling in that blank and writing out their answers means that they have some investment in the outcome and it becomes much more personal to them and they're much more interested and then they become advocates because they say what it what do they, they tell people what they wanted and then that usually leads to a discussion where it's like oh well if I was designing the trail I would want this if I was designing the trail I want this so you get this tremendous um, uh, sort of outpouring of ideas 
And this is Jeanette. Um, to add on to that, one of the things we know from doing other community engagement campaigns is that it's really hard for people sometimes if you just ask them a question, what are your ideas? A lot of people freeze up, I'm not creative, I'm not that person, I don't have ideas. But when you give them a prompt and you provide that mechanism, everybody can fill in that blank. Even if they're filling it in with, you know, I want meditation, I want zen, I want sweat, someone said. Yeah. But for people then who, who do see themselves as more creative, they really engage in that prompt too. So it really works for everyone and that was the goal when we, when we put it together was give everybody a place to start. And what I thought was really neat, you really involved students and going out to the schools. Um, I was amazed at what the high school students, you know, thought of and, you know, the elementary school students. How did you involve students in the process and why was that important? This is Leah. The thing that we did, um, I think wisely right from the beginning, was we brought educators into the steering committee that was leading the master planning process uh, because you know, the trail will run very near a few elementary schools, but also we are very fortunate. We've got great collaboration with our schools in Fishers. And so always having a seat at the table for our teachers and partners and students is important. Um, so then bringing the students on was just a natural next step. We want, we, knowing that the trail was going to go near schools, we wanted them to feel ownership in that, them to feel safe, them to feel excited about it. And then knowing that we were designing this as a 20-year vision, we wanted to hear from all students of all ages about what they want because they're the ones who are going to be using this. And I'll never forget we were at um, Link Fisher's High School and a 17-year-old kid started his presentation saying, hey, you know, you're actually designing this for me because in 20 years, I'm the one who's going to be using this trail with my family and I'm the one who's going to be here. And that really drove home, I think, for all of us, the kind of the message that we really needed to be going to them and listening to them. And this is, this is Jeanette, just to, to add on to that, one of the things that was great about this opportunity is that the teachers were able to look at this in terms of project-based learning. Mm -hmm. A lot of times they're putting projects together that really have nothing to do with the students that they're teaching to. And in this particular instance, these students could actually walk outside, go to the tracks, and it was very tangible for them. So they're able to see the tracks now and envision what this trail could be. So the teachers were um, instrumental in helping us to get this going and really quite excited about the opportunity to create a semester-long curriculum around it. This is Tony. The, the other thing that was a real eye-opener for me uh, as part of that process was uh, it, it, engaging the students like that is kind of a recruiting tool for the city. And we talk about kids you know, growing up uh, finishing high school, going off to college, going off trade school, whatever, and you know, how do we get them to come back? How do we get there to be a legacy of families in our communities? Um, and I think I think this is really great, uh, just a really great tool for that. Um, they have buy-in, they have ownership, uh, they want to come back and be a part of the future. What were the range of ideas you received through the process? I mean, it seems like it was everything from like a solar-powered, you know, seating area to featuring local art and everything in between. I mean, what, what were some of the, the highlights we were going through? One of the early ideas, we can probably all share one. This is Leah, one of the early ideas at, um, with the fourth grade class at New Britain Elementary. One of the early ideas was, or Harrison Park Elementary, was from a young man who had an idea for an area where you would take your trash and then a rocket ship would take your trash up 
and let it go in space. So it was a nice, you know, opportunity for technology and environmentalism to come together. But it was so much fun, and he was completely serious. Uh, this is Jeanette. So um, we heard things um, ranging from, you know, we hear a lot about dog parks, but what about the world's first cat park? Um, <laughs> we heard students talking about uh, treehouse villages and um, slingshots that slung people through the town. Um, the kids got really creative, but they were also very practical. So one uh, student project was to develop a multi-tiered water fountain that serviced everyone. So the bottom tier would provide water to dogs, then to wheelchair accessible uh, folks, to short people, to tall people, and then they had a water mister on the top so you could cool off um, in the summer months. So the ideas were, were broad ranging and um, very exciting, including uh, even one uh, young man wanted us to put a Gucci store on the trail for his mother to shop. So That's right. we heard it all. Popsicle stands. And, and things that were aspirational too. There were ideas for kindness rocks or where can I go to meditate, uh, be mindful. And then I know, Tony, you like to point to the, the young woman from Fisher's High School who wanted to create a path to change the world. Yeah, uh, she, her idea was uh, incredible. Um, just, you know, kind of the social causes uh, that she wanted to try to solve with this trail. Uh, really um, hit, hit us hit, hit us right in the heart, I guess I'll say, yeah. uh, on the design team. And there was a, uh, there was a global reach you know, to, to her aspirations. You know, she, she was thinking about how do we use technology uh, and digital means to reach out to folks around the world and connect. So out of this really local effort uh, you know, from this uh, smaller city in Indiana, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hey, I want to reach out to countries around the world and connect and talk mm -hmm. with people. Uh, that was great. And that idea of globalism didn't stop there, too. We, one of the things that I thought was really neat that EX2 and NBBJ recommended were these think tanks. So we did a lot of proactive outreach to neighborhoods, to businesses. Uh, we went where people were already. But then we also invited people to come and share their ideas in smaller groups as think tanks. And Jeanette, you can probably speak to that. Yeah, it was great. We themed these around um, top priorities for the community, arts and education, uh, innovation and technology, fitness and recreation, and we brought in experts and enthusiasts who could talk very specifically around those themes so that we were making sure that we were covering all the bases. But neat ideas came out of that from our you know, innovation entrepreneurs. They came up with ideas of how to use technology for safety for uh, integrating lighting into pavement that can signal whether you should slow down or stop or keep going. Um, how do you use different sensory uh, technology to communicate directly with the police department or the fire department if needed. So it was fun to hear those ideas too and it's really impacted us from a design standpoint to say, hey, we may not know exactly what's coming, but let's make sure we've got the conduit in the ground to support it when it does. I think it's it's most amazing that everybody, kids, think tanks, pretty quickly got the idea that the trail is really about experiences. Mm -hmm. So it's a place that you go and do something for yourself, for others, for the community, and even for the world. So lots of ideas coming together into a master plan. Mm -hmm. Give me some of the highlights of what made it into the master plan concept and what will the trail look like 
during you know the whole 20 year process of making it a reality so there were, there were two really important uh, aspects to incorporating all 1500 ideas <laughs> that we received uh, one was just thinking about the the trail in terms of a framework and and what is appropriate where uh, we got a lot of cues from folks um, you know neighborhoods businesses uh, downtown districts to that, that really gave us a lot of clues about you know the types of activities that should be happening where along the trail so that helped us a lot in terms of deployment uh, of those ideas I think the other piece uh, that was really uh, interesting that we had to look at was phasing uh, this is a 21 year master plan uh, you know we're aiming for 2040 uh, for all of this to be complete uh, and we're we're kind of starting right now in the downtown core which is you know been affectionately referred to as the exclamation point of the trail um, and so phasing is very important and also, you know, getting the right uses in the right places. What did you all learn from the process of gathering community input and what can cities and towns take from, you know, kind of that advice or wisdom that you gathered along the way? Well, this is Jeanette. I, I think one of the um, things that I appreciate most about Fishers is that it really did want the community input. This was from the get-go, a project that was to be designed by the community. Um, we didn't start design until the community engagement phase was over, not a single uh, pen put to paper until we had completed that part of the project because we really did want to know uh, what the community thought. So um, I think the learning is that when people are invested and when they have a role to play and when they feel like their voices are heard, there's a lot more ownership uh, going forward and we have a lot of community people who are really rallying behind this project because they had a role to play and they have a stake in what happens um, as this trail gets built. I was gonna say if you you know one of the lessons this is Leah one of the lessons or a few lessons that I know our team took away that will continue moving forward so if you want to have community input it's really helpful to have a steering committee of community members guiding you because it naturally brings together kind of your cheerleaders and those who can reach out and bring others to the table. It helps grow your network beyond what you could grow at otherwise. The second thing that is important, um, a core principle for us, I think, is making sure we're going out to where people are and not just expecting people to come to us because people are so busy and we have great events. There are great opportunities where we can go to them and make it an enjoyable experience for them as well so that you know there were balloons uh, that drew you in. There were, it was engaging, we had cookies. We tried to really make the experience something that was fun to be a part of and also meaningful as they walked away and knew they had contributed to, you know, creating something that will be transformative for our city. And to, to this is Jeanette, to join on that, um, uh, we did go where the community was. We went to a happy hour at a local restaurant. We went to the farmer's market. We went to movie night in the amphitheater. We went to local parks and we wanted to get a broad range of community uh, engagement. We wanted to make sure we were letting everyone be heard. Um, we did make it fun and what was also cool is that uh, the mayor showed up, the city councilman showed up. Everyone showed up to hear what the community had to say and I think people felt very valued in that process. I think the, the, the benefit to going out to all those places and doing all those events was that we really heard 
uh, a broad range of voices. Uh, I think it often is the case that the loudest person is who you think is the majority, and that's not really the case. A lot of dissent and negativity, but when you go out and actually talk to people, you find, oh, there's a lot more optimism and enthusiasm, and that's really the majority and really what most people think, and that kind of gives you the uh, uh, motivation to keep going forward. It's our jobs to honestly showcase that. That's what I wanted to say. I mean, I, we have, a, as professionals, we have an ethical responsibility to hear all voices, and that's that's what we have to do. And we try to incorporate as much as we can into the design. Um, but at the end of the day, we also have to be able to lift up and show what is the consensus of the community. In this case, there was a vocal minority that was in favor of preserving the tracks. And I think that the tendency might be to ignore those people or try and outshout them. But we went out of our way to really listen and say, what are, your, what are your concerns? Why are you for this particular path as opposed to something else? And maybe there's something that we can do to accommodate that if, in fact, that's what most people want. Great. And I wanted to wrap up the podcast with asking you, what's the next step? Just like huge, like multi-step process. But what can people look forward to, you know, next? Sure. Uh, this is Leah. We are already in, into the design of uh, about three miles of the trail. So we will break ground in Fishers on the Nickel Plate Trail this fall to get it started. But what we're getting really excited about is the potential regional impact that the Nickel Plate Trail in its entirety can have for central Indiana. At its completion, the Nickel Plate Trail will run from about Pleasant Street in Noblesville down to around 39th Street in Indianapolis where it easily connects over to the state fairgrounds. That's important because it becomes a connector of that would create 40.1 miles of pedestrian trail, a loop in central Indiana because it would connect the Monon Trail to the Midland Trace Trail which will run from Westfield over to Noblesville and then the Nickel Plate Trail connects down to the State Fair where it would, it would converge with the Monon Trail. When we think about that kind of regional impact that would set central Indiana apart. You know there are a few handful of trails out there that we've looked at for precedent as well when you look at the Atlanta Beltline, there's one in Chicago, the High Line in New York City. There are a few out there that really become a draw for economic development, they become a draw for tourism, and they become a draw for attracting the kind of talent that we want to attract to central Indiana. So to have this 40.1 mile loop would set, set Indiana apart um, and something that I hope that we can see more support for as, as word gets out. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast has been brought to you by Indiana American Water.